Hey everybody, welcome to the Advance Your Belly Dance podcast, a weekly podcast all about the business of belly dance. Hey everybody, Johnny here. Thanks for joining me for this week's Advance Your Belly Dance episode. I am with Mahina again. She's going to be talking to us about contracts, why you need one, how to set one up, and all that good stuff. So thanks again, Mahina, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. It's a really important topic, and I enjoyed being on there last time. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, of course. And uh, we just reached a little over 2,000 lifetime listens, and the episode that the interview that you and I did a few weeks back or a couple of months ago is actually in the top three listens. So I'm very happy to have you back. Oh, fantastic. That's awesome. And congratulations on the new listenership milestone. Thank you. So you want to talk to us this week about contracts. Now, why would someone need a contract? What are the benefits of having one and how do they set one up and all that good stuff? Well, First, I got to say that why do we even have to ask why we need a contract? And that, I think, is because a lot of dancers are very uncomfortable with contracts. You know, a lot of us come into belly dance as a hobbyist. You know, we come into this as something that we do for fun and, you know, we're just doing for enjoyment and then it gets more serious and then all of a sudden it's a business. And I think that. Uh, that little, that kind of threshold of crossing over from a hobby into a business, I think that people have some, you know, have some, uh, you know, anxiety there about the whole contract thing because it just feels a little too official for something that used to be your hobby. And I, and unless you step over that line in a super clear way, um, rather than just kind of sliding over it, how many of us did, you know, just in the transition of our dancing that um, it, it's a hard place to kind of start to decide that, okay, I need a contract now to do this type of performance. And so, but I think that the most clear place is if someone's going to start handing you a considerable sum of money to put on a performance, then yes, you should have a contract. And why do you want one? So it's basically a protection vehicle for both you and for your client. It's, I think one of the things that makes people uncomfortable is that it feels like a contract is there to protect you and you feel like the client may feel like you don't trust them to pay you as agreed and to make sure everything goes the way it's supposed to go and then they're not going to cancel out on you. And so because you're suspicious of that and you're worried about it, you're going to get them to sign a piece of paper. Well, that is true, but it's also for them. And I think that if we enter into the contract, both drawing it up and the way we communicate with our client about the contract, that it is for both people to be clear on all the details of the event, then it kind of takes that element of distrust and you know, puts it aside and says, nope, this is just a place for us to keep our details about this event so that we are both in agreement and we know that we're in agreement because we're looking at the same page. And so I think that that's the biggest thing for 
uh, for dancers to get is that you know, it it's really serves both of you. It serves the client as well. Really good points. I've known dancers that haven't used contracts because they've just been doing everything through email or even Facebook. That's like their agreement. And although I guess that technically could be kind of sort of a contract because it's in writing, it's still definitely better to have everything at least on one page and signed and dated just in case. Yes, I have I have known some dancers, even you know some really busy gigging dancers who are you know very quali- high quality performances, who have uh, have said you know in conversations on Facebook and business forums and things that they pretty much do a lot of their stuff by email and as long as they have it in written form in email they're okay with that. Now you know it's really all about your comfort level, and you know if you and especially if you are dealing with a repeat client, if, if this is someone you. Uh, you know, done several things with before, an email might be fine because you're like, yeah, I know they're going to pay me, and I, and I know this venue, and I know this event, and and it's all fine, and it's not really a high dollar thing, and you're not involving you know other dancers or as well or other musicians because that's a factor too. Uh, I think that if, in that kind of a situation, someone might be comfortable with just a track record of the emails and Facebook messages, text messages, whatever, to keep their details straight. And if you're comfortable with that, that's awesome. If the client's comfortable with it, fine, then just go with it. However, in other situations where maybe the dollar amount is more or you are uh, counting on this gig for whatever reason and you don't want to be canceled on at the last minute and you don't want this one pulled out from under you, you know, because they wanted to hire someone else that they found a week beforehand that's cheaper or whatever, you know, of the thousand things that could happen when you're booking, then yeah, you want a contract. And um, although I have to say here that, you know, I'm not a lawyer, the contract that I've used uh, for my own gigs has never been looked over by a lawyer and even if it was looked over by a lawyer to be valid in Arizona where I live it may not be valid in another state or another country so this is not legal advice I think we just do have to put that out there uh, this is more practical advice on um, if you are very concerned about the legality of your contract you definitely should have an attorney in your area look it over to make sure it's watertight in case it ever goes to court. Again, mine have never been tested in court, and I'm glad about that because I had never had a you know conflict with a client that went to that level. Um, but you know, this contract has served me well, and so I do have some things that. Well, I really consider all of the things that I'm going to mention today must because I think they apply to pretty much every belly dance gig situation. And uh, we can go over those things one at a time. Yes, so take us through what is exactly super necessary, like the basics of what you need to have on your contract. Yeah, these are the things that I would say. Uh, The first little group of them is your five W's, just like a reporter, who, what, where, when, and why. So who, who hired you, who's the person who contacted you first, who's the person who made the decision to hire you, and if it's not the same person, who is responsible for paying you? A lot of times if you're doing a corporate gig or even a, like a large family event, the person who found you online and talked to you and decided that you are the person who's going to be doing the show for that event is not the person who's going to write the check or hand you a credit card when it comes down to getting paid. 
So you want to make sure you know who is the paying party because that person's name needs to be on the contract and they need to be signing it. Um, a lot of times when you're working with, like, a, say, a corporate event, uh, the you know executive assistant or you know secretary, whoever will call you and you'll be talking to that person, but you need the payroll department or you know whoever bookkeeping to actually issue you the check. So in that case, you should have the name of the person who is going to be signing on behalf of the of the company, and another line that says representing you know XYZ company or whatever, and make sure that the phone number and the email address and the, all of the other contact information is the company's information and not the person who just got in contact with you. So you want to make sure that the company who is actually entering into the agreement is the one that's represented in the contact information on there. So that's your who. It's important to get that who correct. So uh, next thing is what? You want a full description of the type of performance that you're going to do. How many dancers is it going to be? Are you bringing musicians with you? How long is it? Uh, do they have any special things that they have asked for as far as like additional services? Are you going to be leading a Debkey line after the show? Are you doing a Zeppa and then you're doing a dinner show at the wedding reception? Do you have to dance out the cake to the birthday person at the party? You know, any specific thing that they have asked you for, for that show, should be written in there. And this is one of the places where you can make your client very comfortable because they will look at that and they'll say, yeah, this is exactly what I asked for. This is, you know, she listened to me and I know she's got it. She's on top of this. Uh, you know, everything I asked for is right here. So. Your full description as best you can give on a piece of paper. You know, you don't have to say which songs and what props you're doing or something. Unless, of course, they've asked specifically. Like, let's say they've asked for, you know, they've asked for a sword dance because they really want one. Then that should be in there that, you know, you will do a full set including a sword dance. You know, say, I like to use the words a, a um, mixed set approximately 25 minutes long and if they've asked for a special prop I'll make a note of that or I'll say ending in audience participation dancing to include the birthday guest or something like that just you know you really want to give your best description of what they've asked you for and that's the information that you should have gotten in your booking call which is what we covered in the last time that we recorded the podcast with you is all the things that you need to get out of your booking call and that's the information that you're going to use to draw up this contract yeah, so definitely have a pen and paper ready when you're doing the booking call to make sure that you're not having to go back to the client asking them these questions. Um, yes, and make good notes. And if you're like me and your handwriting is terrible, just take the time to slow down because the last thing you want to do is not be able to read your own notes about what the client wanted. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> um, next thing is where. And uh, you, of course, want the physical address that you have to go to, and you should be checking the distance to that address before you've given a price on anything because you need to know if you have a travel charge. So that's something you should have done also in advance. And if it's a large property like a hotel or a convention center, you need the room number or the call name or whatever way they designate that. So you need to know which one you are going to. If there is a coordinator or on-site person, 
that you need to check in with when you get there. That should be included. And you should have a phone number for the person who you can get in contact on the day of the event, at the time of the event. So going back to like the example of when you get hired by a company, if you have the executive assistant's desk phone number, that's not going to help you when they are on site at the convention center and you need to get in contact with them. So you need an on-site phone number of, a of anyone that you need to potentially get in touch with on the day of the event. So that's, again, something you should have got in, in your booking call. And uh, you, know, you should have also asked questions about whether you're going to be on the stage or what kind of flooring and things like that. So again, information. Now, that doesn't need to be on the contract, but it's definitely something you should know. And now as for the when. Uh, you would need to be very specific about this. When I ask a client about a show time, I ask them, what time do you want the show to start? And that's the time that I put on the contract. And then I also put on an arrival and setup time. So, you know, you never want to just ask the client, what time should I be there? Because they'll tell you whenever. I mean, they'll, they'll tell you, oh, be there at 9 o'clock and the show is not, on, not till 10. And there, you, you know, you've got an hour on a Saturday night where... You didn't really need to be sitting around there. You could have booked another gig somewhere close by. And uh, unless they want to pay me for that hour to sit there, then no, I'm not going to get there that early. So uh, I always put a start time and then I put an arrival time. And how much arrival time really kind of depends on your, you know, how you travel and how long you like to have to get ready and what you have to do once you get there. Uh, if you're the kind of dancer who just, you know, tra travels in most of their costume, just has to pop off, you know, cover up and pull out the iPod and hand it to them and it's going to be really simple and, you know, you can stash your stuff in the bedroom and you're going to just go out to the living room because it's a house party, then 15 minutes is probably plenty. If you are going to be somewhere where you need to get into a larger property, you have to find the room, you have to get changed on the second floor, you have to talk to the DJ beforehand and all that kind of stuff, maybe you need a half an hour. You know, if you, I don't like to travel in my costume. I want to get dressed there and I want to take my costume off before I get back in my car. So I know how much time I need for that. And then, you know, if you have any extra things, you know, like I said, you like you need to go and stop and talk to the DJ first, which you need to do before you got changed. And, um, you know, if your dressing area is far from your performance area, you got to carry all of that stuff in your mind and decide how much time that you're going to give yourself between getting there and getting started. Now, that being said, a start time is sometimes a little bit wishful thinking, especially with some events like wedding receptions. Um, they can tell you that you're planned to go on at 9 o'clock after the dinner service has all been carried out to the guests. But if the speeches in the reception line at the beginning of the reception, you know, went very long and when things, you know, when the dinner is behind and all that stuff, then your start time is probably going to be delayed. And as much as you don't like that, a wedding is full of moving parts and you are only one of them and you're not the most important one. And even though you feel like your schedule is the most important to you, you kind of have to deal with that. And um, I know that from many years of doing wedding receptions and other kinds of events that I know tend to not be on time, that I build in extra waiting time to start with. I build it into my schedule for the evening and I also build it into my price. 
And so that way there is no, you have uncomfortable discussion when they say, oh, we're running 20 minutes behind. I say, okay, no problem, because I kind of already saw this coming. And um, if you don't do something like that or you haven't foreseen it, you could also have in this time section of your contract, you could have a clause about waiting time. And I have done that sometimes. Uh, I occasionally will just kind of get a sixth sense off of a client that they're not so organized and that they might try to move the performance time around a little bit once I get there, just just kind of because I get a sense of that from their personality when I'm setting things up with them. And in that case, I might put in a clause that says that you know any delay over 15 minutes from the start time will have a charge of X amount of dollars per 15 minutes of waiting time. And oftentimes that clause alone is enough to keep people on time because they see it. And that is assuming, of course, that your client has actually read your contract because newsflash, they don't always read what they sign. So <laughs> you, if you really want to make sure that point gets across, find a way to say it quickly and pleasantly and matter-of-factly and then move along in your discussion with them so you don't uh, dwell on it, but that they know it's there if you think that they, perhaps they haven't no noticed that. Um, okay, so the next is the last of your five W's, and that will be why. What is the occasion? Is this you know, is this a you know, surprise party? If so, that should be in there because if in the event of a surprise party, you need to get, you know, snuck in the back door, you need to not be seen by anyone, you need, you know, all that kind of stuff. So you have to arrange that and it should be on the contract that you will call from outside this person when you arrive so they can get you in without being seen and all that kind of stuff and you know your plan for making that surprise get pulled off you know, successfully. Um, also you want to know, you know, is it a birthday party, is it an anniversary party, who, you know, make sure they point out the birthday person, all that kind of stuff so you can do the show that they're really looking for. So know what the occasion is because each one has different things that need to be considered and it should be on the contract. Again, that lets the client know that you have really listened to them and you truly understand what they're asking for. Remember, you want to, in all the parts of your contract, you want to make sure that it's not just protecting you, that it's also assuring the client that they're going to get exactly the thing they want at the price that they were promised. So. Those are your five W things, but there's some other things that are incredibly important and you really do have to have on your contract as well. And one, of course, is your fee. Um, so you want to have your total cost for your show on there and any deposit that you have required and how to pay it. And I do recommend that you get a deposit no matter how small because a deposit is one of the things that weeds out your serious client from the client who is likely to cancel on you 24 hours in advance. And, you know, it's just a little bit of a deterrent because they know that they're going to lose the deposit if they cancel. And we're going to get to the cancellation clause next. But first, like I said, you have to have the total fee and how you will accept it and when you will accept it. I mean, are you going to ask for cash on the spot at the end of your performance? Uh, do you want them to pay by credit card the day before? Do you accept checks? How are they going to pay for it? 
And your same thing for your deposit. Your deposit, um, you should have instructions for that. A lot of people like to do the deposits on either Square or PayPal because it's very convenient. If you have a long window before the performance, like say they're booking for three months out, if they want to send you a check, a plain check, then that works too. Um, I always tell my clients that their booking is confirmed in my calendar when I have received both the deposit and signed contract. And until then, that date is open for booking by anyone else who asks for it. So usually once I send the contract out, I'll give people like a three-day grace period where I won't book anything on top of that. And I will, if someone calls me for the same day and time, I may tell them, you know, I have a pending one. Let me get all your information. And if for some reason this does not go through, then I will get right, I'll get right back to you and let you know that I have the date available. But until I have a deposit and a signed contract, I will continue to take inquiries for that slot. So um, I let clients know that as well. So that usually gets them on the ball about getting a contract back in a prompt manner. And uh, so back to that cancellation. Uh, cancellations, this is a place where you can really make your client feel comfortable with the contract and make them understand that this document is for both of you and not just for you. So of course you've got your worry about a client canceling on you, which is why you want this cancellation you know, clause in your contract. So you need to be explicit about what the terms of that is. So you uh, you have to decide what you're comfortable with and what window of cancellation you're comfortable with. For example, you might say that if the client cancels at any time after signing, that the deposit is forfeited. And I definitely, I that's one I use. And you may have an additional one, especially if this gig is taking up a significant part of your night on a Saturday night during maybe like a busy party season, like, you know, Christmas holidays or something, and you don't want this yanked out from under you, then you might also have an additional thing in there that says uh, perhaps if it's canceled within seven days of the event that they still owe 50% of the balance or, you know, whatever your terms are, you have to decide what you're comfortable with and what you really need and they should be spelled out in your contract in those in that way that it's very easily understood. You want to avoid legalese in your contract. You want it to be plain wording that everyone understands so there's no ambiguity with any of this. And that's another thing that will make your client more comfortable is that it's not legalese. It's like, okay, I get this. It says that if I cancel after I sign, my deposit is gone. All right. So, you know, that's okay because I'm going to hold the show. I'm going to hold the show. I'm not canceling on her. So they're, they're not worried. Now, like I said, this is a two way thing. So you need to also put in that cancellation clause, a protection for your client. So what I have in mind is that if I need to cancel the show that I guarantee that I will provide a dancer who will do an equally uh, suitable performance at the same price. So basically I'm guaranteeing them that if I need to cancel, that I will make sure they have a dancer. And I also tell them verbally, this isn't in my contract, but I tell them verbally that, you know, that is in my contract. However, I have never canceled a gig on a client in over 15 years of doing gigs. 
But I just want you to know that in the event that something completely catastrophic came up, I would make sure that you are covered and you do have entertainment for your event. So again, that's a place where you can make sure that your client feels like you're taking care of. So they know this document is for them as well. Uh, there's a couple other kind of miscellaneous little things. Um, one of them is about the sound system. Uh, if you are going to, uh, if you're going to be bringing your own music and you're not dancing with live music, then you should have information about that on there. Um, are they going to provide the sound system? And you should have asked them about the details of that during your booking call. Or sometimes, like if you're doing like a like a little bellygram in an office for like a little surprise birthday thing, or if someone's house, you might need to bring a sound system. Like a lot of dancers, like myself, I have a portable sound system that's you know carryable, but pretty darn loud, you know, it would serves for a large living room or for an office or something. And uh, you need to know if you need to bring it or if they have it, and that should be on your contract as well. If you feel like you want to charge an extra fee to bring your sound system, that should be, you know, enumerated on your contract also uh, in your fee section. I don't personally because it's, you know, it's not that hard to carry it in and it's just something I can do for my client to make it more possible for them to have the show that they want. Um, but that's up to you if you want to charge for it. And uh, if you're going to be dealing with a DJ, then get the DJ's information. A lot of times I'll put for sound system, I'll put DJ and um, client will send contact information. If I don't have it yet, basically it's in the contract that they're supposed to provide it to me. So um, I always contact the DJ before a gig, I want to talk to them and I want to let them know that, you know, my stuff's going to be all on one playlist and it goes from start to finish and all that kind of stuff and just anything important that they need to know so that they, they don't turn my music off too early because they think that that's the end of a song. So, of course, they should turn it off because, yeah, it happens or they, you know, <laughs> whatever reason that they might not understand that until you see me take a vowel and leave, don't touch it. <laughs> you know, just let my music run. But um, things do happen. Like, uh, like on, uh, I had a gig recently where I had tried to get in contact with the DJ, but the DJ did not return my calls. And this was a 100th birthday party and in a big hall with the whole family and friends and everything else. And, you know, I got there and I did, you know, gave them my playlist on my iPod and everything. And during my drum solo, the DJ thought it would be fun to add the Mexican car horn sound on top of it. Just grins you know he thought he was adding to my show or something and you know if I had actually talked to him in advance I would have told him do not add or mix or scratch or and do anything to my music and if that wasn't bad enough they also had an MC for the event who decided to I guess like spontaneously look up information on Wikipedia and started narrating about the history of belly dance on top of my sword performance so and I'm here I am like you know I'm going on with my show but I'm thinking oh geez like what are these people thinking and I but I didn't get a chance to talk to the DJ and kind of give them a little bit of a rundown on maybe some things not to do I never thought to tell someone uh, not to narrate on top of my performance but I guess I will add that to my spiel at this point so but yeah you want to talk to your DJ and just let them know you know what just run my music the way it is don't mess with it until I disappear off the stage entirely, don't turn anything off, you know? <laughs> so 
you know, make sure it's not on shuffle, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's, you just never know. And you, and your show can really just kind of get jacked up and with situations like that. I can't begin to imagine the, like, who thought that was a good idea? <laughs> you know, I, I kind of think that it was because, uh, the birthday guest of honor, the person who was turning 100, he I think he was a historian or an archaeologist or something. So they thought it would be nice to like add some historical context to it for you know his own interest. But I, I, I have to say I did not appreciate it. <laughs> but, you know, worse things have happened during gigs. It, you know, it's all a story in the end and it's all OK. So. Uh, so, yeah, that's pretty much everything that I have in my contract. So I like, you know, the quick rundown, who, what, where, why, when, how much, what's your fee, what's your cancellation, and uh, what is your, you know, what's the sound setup. And if you have done your homework in the booking call and you can fill all of those things out fully, then your contract will be very complete and it should put both you and your client at ease. Now, do you add your real name or do your artist name? Well, I mean, that is my name. So I do use my name and I use my, and of course, dancing, I don't use my last name, but I do put my last name on my contract. So, um, so yes, I would say that in that case, I use my full name. And uh, if you are working and you have like an LLC or an official business name, I would think that it would be the same way that you would deal with the company where you have the individual signing and representing. So, you know, you could do both. You could put, you know, your LLC or your DBA or whatever um, business name you operate under and then put your legal name as well. And how do you go about handling, um, if you are working with musicians or other dancers, do you do like the contract for them? Do you add them into yours or do you? Oh yeah. Yeah. Excellent. That's a really good question. It's a very important one. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, I think, uh, that, well, when I do it, it depends on how, I feel about the people I'm working with. Now I have an ensemble, my dreams of Arabia ensemble. And when we perform together and that's two dancers plus two to three musicians, depending on the gig, um, I will make one contract for dreams of Arabia because that is, you know, we're a unit and we're hired as a unit. And I know that everyone on my team is going to be there on time and do exactly the thing they're supposed to do. So I have no problem signing on the dotted line for all of them and being responsible for all of them because I know that that's how it's going to go. Now, I've also been in situations where I've been asked to hire the musicians and contact the musicians, but I'm not actually paying the musicians. I might be negotiating the, you know, what we're doing, arranging the show, but I'm not the person like paying out from what the client gives me. And in that case, I want them to have their own contract. Now, I've been in situations where um, the musicians are like, you know, I don't know how to make a contract, you know, whatever. Or I don't usually use a contract, but I know that I'm involved in this gig and I want a contract. I want them to have a contract because it's going to make the relationship between them and the client better. It's going to make it clearer and it's going to also mean clarity between 
myself and them as for when they're supposed to be there, what they're supposed to do. So it's just good all around. And in that case, I might offer to draw the clients, the, the contract up for the musicians. And I won't be on it. I'm not listed on it. I'm not signing it. But I've made something that I know is going to make my client feel secure and is also going to keep my musicians you know, in line as far as knowing what they're supposed to do when because that can really go wrong. And um, I'm going to go way back when I first started doing gigs and stuff like that. I was uh, working at a restaurant and they were having a big grand reopening. They had expanded into a second, you know, the space next to them. And they had been working with me doing recorded music you know, performances at their place for a while. And they asked me to organize a nice big grand reopening show. And they said they wanted, you know, musicians. And there were some around town that people knew, they knew from the Arab community. And they asked if I could get these people. And I was like, oh, I know them. Yeah, I'll give them a call. I know what's your budget and everything. And so I uh, did set something up with a keyboard player and a singer. And uh, they... Uh, on the night of the show, they weren't there yet. And the owner's saying, well, where are they? And I'm like, I'm trying to call them. And they're like, oh, well, you know, we rented a PA system for this. And the rental company said that the people who had it before us didn't return it. So we're waiting for it. And, you know, and I didn't believe that for a second, not, not one second. I just, yeah, I just, I just knew right off the bat that that was just BS. And, um, they did eventually show up. They took a really long time to set up, like extraordinary long time for a keyboard player and a singer. Like it probably was over a half an hour to set up and it wasn't a large space. And after they sang and played for, I don't know, maybe two songs. And then the singer came over to me and said, you know, I don't think this is our crowd. We're going to go. And so they packed up their stuff and they walked out in the middle of this event. And, and, you know, if, uh, and I was not legally on the hook for that, but I definitely felt bad about it. And I had a whole bunch of dancers there who were going to be performing through the evening. And so it was on me. And I got all the dancers and I said, you know what? The musicians are leaving. We have to regroup. How many costumes do you have? How much music do you have? And we got to fill this night. And those ladies all came through, every single one of them. And the client was happy in the end with what we did with the evening, but very upset with the musicians. And if I had had a contract with the musicians between the the owner and the musicians themselves, then the client, my client, would his displeasure would have been directed a little bit more at them <laughs> because he would have had an agreement with them. And that would have protected me in that case. So I learned the lesson the hard way on that one. And I'm willing to draft a contract for musicians who don't want to do it. Um, just to make sure that something like that doesn't happen again. I was once at an event where the singer just up and left because there was another singer there and had a hissy <laughs> fit. And he was like, I'm not the only one here, like, I, which I don't think was the agreement to begin with. Yeah. But either way, it was super unprofessional. And then he just, he just got up, he left. And there was a whole band that was there and he was supposed to sing with them and it was extremely unprofessional but yeah 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 and and you know what and not not everyone you know it not everyone operates on a truly professional level just because they charge money 
And that's true for dancers and for musicians. I mean, let's say, let's say, you know, you hired a, you know, you got hired for a duet performance. If you are working for the first time with another dancer on this piece, and then what happens if she just ditches you at the last minute because, you know, she got a hot date or she got a gig that paid better or whatever, you know, she just decided now nah, she doesn't really want to do it. You know, her, if, if her name isn't on the contract and you don't have a contract with her, then you're, you're kind of, you know, you're kind of out of luck. So, I mean, you're out of luck either way because if she's not showing up contract or not, you're still, you know, you're still in a, in a bunch of hot water, but, um, it's more likely that someone's going to follow through if they have, you know, if they've signed something with you. And, um, you know, people don't always think about their professional reputation down the line because especially with musicians and other dancers, you know, these people are in the same community and you're going to be working with them potentially for many years, you know, much longer than you're going to be working with your client most likely. So, you know, that's another thing that should be thought of. But yeah, you know, I think that um, whether you have separate contracts with other artists entirely depends on your trust level in them and what they, and that they're going to come through with exactly what they're supposed to. So, that, you know, all, all contracts really are about trust. It's then the less trust that you have built into the relationship, then the more you need a contract and the more trust you have, the more comfortable you might be going without it. However, I don't really want to do any kind of a paid transaction without even a simple contract. Um, you know, I might get away with just a email exchange of, you know, accumulated information if it's, a, you know, I'm super comfortable with the person and we're really on a really tight time schedule and it just seems like getting contracts back and forth and deposits is in the next 48 hours just doesn't seem like something that's going to you know, go down easily. So, yeah, I mean, every situation is a little bit different, but, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a judgment call for sure. Always get things in writing. Sure. Yes. <laughs> so how we've been talking a lot about contracts for gigs like mm -hmm. for weddings and restaurants and things like that just for performing performance gigs how does this differ from let's say a contract where you're teaching somewhere or you're teaching a workshop or something what are things that you would add to that oh wow um well i i think that the who what where why when and how much still apply and, uh, you know, of course, either your, your, instead of performance information, it would be, you know, how many hours are you going to be teaching? What are you going to be teaching? You know, your, your payout information might be a rate per hour. It might be a flat fee for all the hours that you're going to be teaching, or it might be a percentage split. Um, usually, I've found that the person hiring me to teach when it comes for workshops um, has their own contract and I really have never had to draw up a contract for myself in that case because most of the people I've worked with have had their own contracts that they wanted and you know in looking them over I felt they were sufficiently complete and uh, answered everything that I would want so um, so yeah you know but I think that the definitely the categories are kind of the same you know, the description of what it is, what, what you might also have in there, though, that you don't have in a uh, standard performance yeah. contract is travel arrangements. 
although I have done some out-of-state shows where I have had travel arrangements in my contracts, you know, they were paying my flight and such. But, um, uh, yeah, so you probably would have travel and accommodation arrangements um, included in your contract or an allowance for them if you are paying for them yourself. So those are some things that would be different. And, uh, yeah, other than that, I think most of the things apply. Yeah, I know Michelle Joyce a few years back, she had, like, a online class kind of it wasn't a dvd it was just like a topic about basically the business of belly dance and mm-hmm. she mentioned that she had she also had like a sample contract on her website i'm not sure if she still has that but it was interesting in hers she had very very specific arrangements like this is the type of food i eat these are the travel accommodations that must be met like very very specific ones um, yeah <laughs> I'm not sure if everyone wants to get that nitty and gritty I guess if you have any allergies like needs to be known yeah I, I would think you know if you do if you have a serious allergy you probably should let people know that I, I don't I don't know that I would want that stuff in my contract I would rather have that in in a more informal exchange personally because I don't I, again that makes me feel like a diva and I'm just not that kind of person so um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying everyone who wants it in the contract is a diva but maybe maybe that's just you know that's just my own bar of I I, I just I want the I want the hard details in there the rest of the stuff you know we're both humans we both know each other and we can talk about that stuff and I'm okay with it you know so yeah, but yeah, again, I, it's all about comfort level and it's all about trust. Yeah, I think that was more for gigs that it was like in foreign countries that you've never been to, and then you don't know the, for example, the cuisine there or something like mm-hmm. that. This is like, all right, well, I will stick to this, or I, hmm. I believe that was the reasoning. But it was just interesting to Thank see you. because it was super specific. Even the travel accommodations um, and the cancellation fee, of course, was super different mm-hmm. as well, and uh, the grace period, of course. So it's. It's a bit more intense, I feel like, yes. than yeah. uh, just the regular kind of your local performance. Well, you know, it's great for an example contract to really have like everything in it because you can you can definitely edit it to take out the things that you don't need or really want in your contract. You know, but you shouldn't be taking out anything you know essential. But uh, you know, if you want to take out the food details and you know and stuff like that, then um, then you can always personalize your contract, and uh, and you should because you're inevitably going to find things that you want to um, include, you know, because of yeah, I don't know past experiences that you find that you should mention that someone may not put in their contract. I know, like I have a, I have a studio and I have a, I rent space to, uh, to other teachers and people rehearsing, and even in just the less than a year that I've had the studio, I have revised my contract three times because I've come across situations where I'm like, oh no, that needs to be in the contract, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because I really had no, never thought uh, that I should put in a clause that says no animals in the studio, so you know. <laughs> I'm like, who would have thought of that until you walk into lockup after rehearsal and you see someone with their dog running around in your studio. I know a dancer that had to add in her contract that she has. So she's performing for a festival, for example. She has to perform within an hour and a half of the show starting because of a specific event where she had to wait five hours. 
to perform. It was a five-hour-long well, show. You know, yeah. that's your waiting clause yeah. in there. Yeah. So, and she's a pretty. Fa- I don't want to like name. I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. think she would mind. But she's a pretty no. well-known dancer, and she um, she was like after this event, I had to go back into my contract and add I must go on stage within an hour and a half because the show ended up being five hours long. Oh, that's, that is, you know, that's a whole nother ball of wax is, you know, when you have, when people organize shows and they are so torturously long that no matter how much you love belly dance, you are just maxed out. And it's, it's so unfair to put the headliner, you know, you know, two hours deep or two and a half hours deep in a show when people are, they're just fatigued and they're, and half the audience is gone. And I have, I've been to a, a big event where not only did the show start like 45 minutes late, but the show was so long that when the headliner came on, I was like yawning and trying to keep my eyes open. I'd been in workshops all day long and half the audience had left. And I thought, what a terrible way to treat your headliner to a tired half audience, you know, and you've had her waiting back there all that time. And that's, that's no way to treat your star. You know? Sure, that's a whole yeah. other episode, perhaps. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. Of... Yes, I'm sure it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the yeah, last few festivals I've been. They've they've been, yeah. All y'all organizers out there, you need to think of us in the audience mm-hmm. and cut your shows short because we don't have the attention span, and we don't want to be up until past midnight and at workshops at nine a.m. the next day either. But that's a whole yes. other thing. Uh-huh, for sure. But yeah, anything you want in your contract that is, you know, that is something that you've come across by experience, if it's that important to you, put it in there. You know, I mean, make your contract your own. And, uh, you know, it's good to start with your basics, but you definitely want to make your contract your own so that you feel comfortable and that it reflects, like I said, you know, always I really have to come back to that idea that you want to make sure that your contract communicates to your client that it is for both of you it is not because you don't trust them it's so that both of you can be clear on exactly what the vision for this event is and what each of you expects out of it so that everybody walks away saying that was awesome thank you so much let's do this again you know and you've mentioned before that luckily you haven't run into any problems uh, with your contracts, but what are the options if things do go south, if someone uh, requests something that's not in the contract and you, you've already like signed it, or if they, for whatever reason, are late on payment or anything that can go wrong, what are the options? Hmm. Well, I mean, there is uh, there is small claims court, and, you know, if you have a contract, you definitely can take someone to small claims court. I believe it has to be in the jurisdiction, well, at least in Arizona, it has to be in the jurisdiction of the person who is uh, the client. So it wouldn't be in your own jurisdiction, it would be in theirs if you're trying to take them to court. So uh, that may be different in another state, I don't know. Um, I've never, I, I, I tried to take someone to small claims court over, over something a very long time ago. They hired me and a couple of other dancers and this was super early in my career. And yeah, yeah, I've told, I, even, I forgot about this actually until this moment, I guess I blocked this memory out, but they hired myself and two other dancers and their event did not uh, get the attendance that they they expected and so they decided that they weren't going to pay us 
since they didn't make any money. And I had emails uh, at that point. This is one of the reasons why, like I said, I've learned the hard way with contracts. I had, I had really blocked this memory out. I'm sorry <laughs> to I, Yeah, that's a, no, it's important. It's an important one. And because I, I really learned a lesson, I paid the other two dancers out of my own pocket. Because again, the relationship with the other dancers is much longer than the relationship with the client. And I did not want them walking away unpaid because that just wouldn't serve me in the future. So I paid the other dancers out of my own pocket and I went after her in small claims court. And as much as they tried to serve her, uh, they never were able to serve her the papers and she never showed up. So I never got my money. So I never even got my day in court, but I did have emails. So, and I would have, if she had showed up and I had been able to show those, then perhaps it would have been under the threshold where, um, so I think most states have like a dollar threshold where uh, a verbal agreement and, you know, an email type of agreement, a non-contractual agreement actually is binding. I've been told uh, by someone that a verbal agreement under for an under $500 thing can still be binding. I don't see how, but that's something that someone said to me once, and I don't know that it's true or not, at least for Arizona. But it may be true if you have emails showing the intent to hire and things like that. But the dollar amount may be the determinant. But you know what? Don't mess with any of that. Just get it all on paper and get a signature and, and be protected. Again, it's uh, it's a, and oftentimes just the fact that they're signing is going to make them think and really say, yes, this is something I want to do rather than having a more informal agreement that they don't, they feel more comfortable saying, ah, change my mind, you know. I think the times that I've heard where the dancer was kind of stuck in the get, if you can get a lawyer to look over it, definitely, is when they've taught, this is mainly about teaching, um, if they've taught abroad and things went south and they got stuck in the country or the person didn't want to pay and it's a horrible nightmare and it, it happens like 0.001% of the time, so don't be scared. <laughs> Anyone listening is like, oh God. Um, but I think it's definitely important to get a lawyer to look at, okay, what happens? Is this contract valid in that person's country? Mm-hmm. How am I protected if I happen to go all the way here for this event and the event doesn't have the money or whatever happens? Um, there have been a few cases where some famous, like, well-known dancers have, have had issues um, with their organizer. And it's hard to... From what I understood happened, it's hard to make a case even if they had a contract because they are in a different country. And how do you take them to court? How do you, you know, but again, have a lawyer look at it and see what your options are if that does happen. And and it's really rare. Yeah, like, and and that and that's a lot of times why you see in the in the professional teachers forums, you'll say, "Has anyone worked with this sponsor before?" Because yeah. <laughs> they want to they want to know that someone's had a successful experience with them before, or if they have have had a you know a nightmare experience, they want to know that too. So yeah, and they're doing a little homework in that situation yeah. and and seeing if you can get some track history and you know on that experience with that person is uh is is good i would i would do that if i was uh going to be putting myself in a situation where i was going to another country and 
uh, and I might be stranded or, you know, incur a lot of costs, especially if I was paying my own travel and they were supposed to pay me back or, you know, in the end for it or whatever. It, yeah, I can, I can see that turning into a pretty sticky situation. You'd want to be covered as best you can. And luckily, I mean, for better or for worse, the <laughs> reputation the organizer would have afterwards would be kind of ruined and, and people I mean these stories that I'm thinking of in my head I've seen posted all over Facebook where I've, I've chatted with the the teachers and mm-hmm. and word spreads pretty quickly of, of who the organizer is and what event yes. it is and things like that so I think yes. it's more the person's reputation the organizer's reputation is more damaged than else so you are i guess in the end kind of covered even i mean people definitely know about it but uh, you know but if but you can still get hit in the pocketbook with a situation like that you know if if you're you you wind up having to buy your own plane ticket home you know early because a week-long thing whatever or they you know they get there and they don't have a hotel room for you or you know there's all kinds of things you could man there's a lot of nightmare scenarios that could happen in that situation yeah, but your contract is your friend, and uh, you should definitely have one. Yeah, for sure. Either way, definitely have one. It's better to have one than not. And this isn't meant to scare off anyone. <laughs> no, it's a really, really small percentage of, of when things do go south. And obviously, do your homework. Don't if you've never heard of this organizer or this event or festival or this is regarding like teaching. But even mm-hmm. this goes for performances too. I guess um, don't you know trust your gut. Don't work with somebody a red flag is if it's a brand new event and it looks like it's going to be like 20,000 people and 20 different teachers and this and that and the other and it's in like a place you've you've never heard of an event happening there before like just kind of proceed with caution and know that it it might not be all it's hyped up to be. You know, I, I, I am I am gonna I'm gonna name a name on this one because I feel like it's something for U.S. dancers if they get caught up in and and unfortunately, uh, there's an organization in the states called uh, called was it Raw Artists and they have scammed so many artists across the board, including belly dancers. And a lot of times they're not even on people's radar. And so they get contacted and then they, uh, they get, they look at it and they go, Oh, this looks like fun. This looks like it could be great and blah, blah, blah. And then they sign the contract and then they realize that this is, is really, it's a raw deal is what it is, <laughs> you know? And so I would, I would say that if you get contacted by raw artists, look up their reputation online, find it out for yourself check out your in that case you want to check that out before you sign anything with them because a lot of people have been burned by them so if people are not um, comfortable like writing their own contract you know with just going off of the things that we've discussed you know I do have one that uh, is a basic sample contract that's really written for gigs not for teaching engagements or anything but just for your basic gig and um, if uh, they can uh, get a copy of that that they can use kind of as a starting point to personalize their contract if they like. Thank you so much for sharing that. I will put that in the description of this episode. So for those that are listening on SoundCloud and iTunes, if you just look at the actual description from your smartphone or on, on your laptop or whatever, uh, I will put that in that description so you can access it. Mahim was nice enough to share that with you guys. Thank you. So thank you so much, Maheen, for coming 
on the show again and talking to us about a very important topic. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I feel like uh, it would be a step forward if dancers you know, got past their, their apprehension about contracts. And, and, and I think they'd, you know, use, if you use them a couple of times, you'll start to get comfortable with them and you'll realize your clients aren't scared of them. And, and it'll be a good thing for you. Definitely. So thanks again. Make sure to check out the description for this episode to get Mahin's sample contract so you can start creating your own if you don't already have one. If you have one, still look through it and see if there's anything you missed. And it's definitely good to always see what other dancers are using. Thanks again. Thanks again. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for joining me. And until next week.